Well, hello, I'm Harley, and this is Deadly Damsels, Women Who Kill, where I tell you a crazy story about a woman who decided to kill. Today, we will be talking about Ezra McCandless, someone who would do anything to be with the man that she loved. Ezra was born on October 6, 1997, in Stanley, Wisconsin, to a 14-year-old named Rosalina Gunnelson. Rosalina initially named her daughter Monica Kay, but obviously Ezra had become unhappy with this name later in life. Ezra's biological father was not part of her life, so her mother's husband, Joshane Carlin, adopted her when she was only four years old. Eight years later, when Ezra was 12, her parents divorced. Ezra maintained a close relationship with her father, though, and would go on to have a seemingly normal childhood. Upon starting high school, she experimented with different pronouns and tried out different names to find an identity that she felt best suited her. By the time she'd enroll in college, she'd have her name legally changed to Ezra McCandless. She chose McCandless because of her idol, Chris McCandless, who was a famous adventurer. Like Chris, Ezra was an explorer with a love for nature. Not long after enrolling in college, Ezra decided to drop out and move to Eau Claire, Wisconsin. Towards the end of summer of 2017, at 19 years old, Ezra met a 33-year-old National Guard medic named Jason Mingle. The two of them fell for each other right away, deciding to move in together within a couple months of the start of the relationship. (laughs) They had been contemplating marriage and even called each other husband and wife. Jason loved how free-spirited Ezra was. She was always trying to take him on adventures, such as breaking into abandoned buildings to explore them. Jason and Ezra also liked spending time at a local coffee shop called Racy's. There, they would befriend the 23-year-old barista and substitute teacher named Alex Woodworth. The couple began spending a lot of time with Alex. Jason would describe him as, quote-unquote, the nicest guy and a deep thinker. Alex was obsessed with philosophy and would constantly be researching different topics in his spare time. He was also someone who really loved to help others, so when Ezra came to him telling him she was having a hard time emotionally, he wanted to do whatever he could to make things better for her. See, unbeknownst to Jason, Ezra had an immediate attraction to Alex, which had continued to grow. And this would lead to Ezra and Alex spending a lot of time together alone. Toward the end of September 2017, Ezra had taken a pregnancy test after having odd symptoms plus a missed period. The test came back positive, and even though she did love Jason and planned to marry him, she decided she wasn't ready for a child yet. I speculate that she may not have known who the father of her child was, but that's just me. Because, <laughs> you know. On October 6th, Ezra's birthday, she drove to an abortion clinic in Minneapolis where she had the procedure to terminate the pregnancy. Within days of her abortion, she officially began a secret love affair with Alex, but it wouldn't be long before Jason would find out about this love affair. He'd found some explicit text messages between Ezra and Alex and decided to confront them. Of course, he was upset with Alex, but he didn't want to fight him. He just kind of wanted to let him know how bad it hurt him. He said, quote, you're my friend. How could you do this? End quote. But Alex didn't have much to say because by now Ezra had painted a bad picture of Jason into his mind. Ezra, on the other hand, said the whole affair had been a mistake and she regretted it deeply. Like, okay. (laughs) But in February of 2018, Ezra had broken things off with both Alex and Jason. She'd moved back to her mom's in Stanley. At this time, Jason would be away for two weeks for National Guard duty. But when Jason returned from duty, he and Ezra would meet up at hotels. They were really trying to make the relationship work. But at one of these hotel stays, Jason finds text messages revealing not only had Ezra been sleeping with Alex... 
but she had had sex with another one of his friends named John Henson. So this isn't even a love triangle. It's a love square (laughs) at this point. So once confronted with this information, Ezra says she was sexually assaulted by John and the sex was not consensual. This is when Jason takes it upon himself to go file rape charges against John. I mean, he just wants to be the good guy. He wants to go and, you know, help Ezra out because she's been raped, basically. From I mean, that's what she's saying. During this time, Jason had set up a meeting at the coffee shop for him, Alex, and John, all three men, <laughs> to discuss Ezra and their relationships with her. He wanted to know what was going on. Like, who's with her? What's going on? John denied the sexual assault allegations, and Alex told the full truth, too. But Jason still sided with Ezra. On March 1st, Ezra spoke to the detectives, telling them about how she was sexually assaulted by John while being, quote-unquote, blackout drunk. She said, quote, I started getting, like, really, really tipsy, end quote. But upon reviewing text messages between Ezra and John, detectives realized Ezra isn't telling the truth. They then spoke to both John and Alex, and neither of them would support Ezra's version of events. Surprise, surprise. So obviously the case was dropped due to Ezra being a liar. And it's believed that this is when she began plotting against Alex. Like she was like, you won't lie for me. You pretty, you pretty much already destroyed my relationship, even though. Well, yeah, basically. But we don't know if that happens yet. (laughs) We'll get there. Before he had even spoken to the detectives, she had texted him, quote, don't ever speak to me again, end quote. So once she knew he wouldn't back up her story to police, she became even more angry with him. After the sexual assault case was dropped, Jason was pretty much like, yeah, I'm done with her. But Ezra was persistent. She continued to talk to him. She'd send him letters in which she expressed how sorry she was for betraying him. Even then, though, she wouldn't take full responsibility for her wrongdoings. With every day that passed that Jason wouldn't take her back, Ezra became angrier with Alex. Like, I'm not understanding what... <laughs> I'm not understanding what the problem is here. Yeah. She's acting as if Alex was the one that destroyed the relationship when, in fact, he wasn't in the relationship with Jason. You know, he... Other than being his friend, he didn't owe him anything. Ezra owed him loyalty. She completely blamed... So, yeah, so she she completely blamed Alex for tearing her and Jason apart. She told Jason that both Alex and John had manipulated her. She wrote to him, quote, They tried to take me away from you, Jason, end quote. Like, it's not me, it's them, (laughs) you know? And again, none of this wins Jason back. He's like, I can't trust you anymore. I'm done with the games. But he'd continue to text her knowing he wouldn't be with her anymore. I'm not sure why he even continued to lead her on. If it were me, I would have just cut all ties there. On March 22nd, Ezra makes a surprise visit to Racy's coffee shop where she knew Jason was. He was kind of like, um, what the F, you know, because they had been texting all night the previous night and she never told him she would be coming to Eau Claire. When he asked her what she was doing there, she said she had come back into town to show Alex some of her journals, which she had written stories in. She said she knows she's been weird and messed up a lot, but that she was going to, quote, become Ezra again, end quote. I don't really know what she means by that. (laughs) Basically, she's like, I'm taking my life back. But upon leaving the coffee shop, Ezra can be seen on security footage looking aggravated. Jason knew something was up. The way that she had been acting didn't seem like she would be visiting Alex with good intentions. And she wasn't. Her plan wasn't just to show up and show Alex her writings, but instead to manipulate him into telling Jason that their affair was just a big mistake. She was willing to do anything to win Jason back. 
So with these bad feelings at the pit of his stomach, he goes to Alex's house where he knows Ezra is there with him alone. Jason paces back and forth outside for a while before going into the house. And once inside, he notices the tension in the air right off the bat. Ezra and Alex had been having a conversation, but when Jason goes in, they kind of just go quiet, you know, and he, he knows right off the bat that this conversation wasn't a good one. Yeah, right. Their faces tell a whole different yeah. story. So basically, he knows that they weren't having some positive interaction of journal reading. They have been arguing. That's when Jason suggests that the two of them should talk in a public space somewhere. He's like, y'all need to like go somewhere where it's not going to be so heated. You know, telling Ezra and Alex that they probably shouldn't be there alone. Ezra and Alex ultimately agree that it would probably be best for them to be in a public place. So the two of them begin to leave together in Ezra's car. But two police cruisers pull up behind them. Yeah, so when Jason had gotten to the house and, you know, he was pacing back and forth, some concerned neighbors were like, this guy's kind of sketchy, you know, so they had called on him. But the police come and they check everything out and they're like, everything's fine. But Jason did pull them aside. He said to the officers, like, there's something wrong with her. She's not acting right. He said, quote, she gave me a vibe today, man. I don't know. It doesn't feel right. Something feels wrong, end quote. But again, the officer doesn't notice anything concerning about Ezra, but he also doesn't know what Jason knows. The cop's pretty much like, yeah, they're good. Everything's good. And then he goes on about his day. Jason goes to the driver's side to say goodbye to Ezra and Alex before they pull away. And he doesn't know that this may very well be the last time that he sees Alex alive. A little over three hours later, Ezra would be knocking on Don Sipple's door. Don is a dairy farmer who had just sat down to enjoy his dinner when Ezra arrived. Upon answering the door, Ezra was barefoot and bruised, with mud and blood all over her torn clothes. And she also had the word boy carved into her arm. What? Yeah. So, like, if I was this dairy farmer, I would probably be like, what is going on? So, I don't know. His initial reaction was probably like, whoa. What the fuck? <laughs> But he is concerned for her. So he grabs a blanket for her because she's cold. And he said that she seemed really in shock. He calls 911 as she tells him she'd just been attacked by her ex-boyfriend, Alex. The police and EMTs arrived on scene and Ezra immediately began to ask them to call Jason. She needed Jason to know that Alex had just attacked her. But the police were more interested in knowing what had happened to her, though. She couldn't seem to remember anything. While in the hospital, police continued to question her about the attack. But still again, she couldn't remember a thing. She tells them that she was very afraid of Alex, but that's all she recalls. She says, quote, I'm trying so hard. I'm trying to get things to come to me, but it's like it just keeps getting blocked out, end quote. Like, okay, girl, girl. Meanwhile, they were searching for Alex, who was MIA. They were trying to get his side of the story. They wanted to know what happened. So they visited his house and called his cell phone, but they couldn't seem to find him. And that's when they reached out to his family, asking them if they could locate Alex. But just like police, they were unsuccessful. The next day, with Alex still MIA, law enforcement decided to go back to Don's farm. And that's when they see it. A muddy road with footprints leading to the farm. They follow the prince to a car stuck in the mud, and that's where they see a body hanging out of the back seat on the driver's side. They immediately know that this is Alex. Like, they're looking for him. They can't find him. You know, everything's leading to this being Alex. And once they found him, a detective had gone back to the hospital where they tell Ezra they found her car with Alex's body inside. And his phone was, like, right next to the car, completely destroyed. Like, it was demolished. 
but we'll get to that. That's an important part of the story later. This is when Ezra just magically remembers everything. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Her story is this, and this is not going to be what's true. This is just her story, so I'm going to tell it like she did. Alex was in the driver's seat, and he had found a knife in the car and began carving something into her arm with it. Ezra then jumps into the back seat to get away from him, and he follows her because now he's, like, carving something into her arm with a knife. He kept trying to attack her, and she didn't know what to do. He started, quote-unquote, cutting her pants open. She then grabbed the knife from him by the blade and began to stab him with it. He then keeps trying to grab her as she's stabbing him. (laughs) It was the scariest thing she'd ever experienced in her life, she says. (laughs) But since they'd already begun processing the scene, the detectives knew the evidence told a completely different story than Ezra's. But he's curious to see what Alex had carved into her arm. He does see that the word boy is carved into her arm. And she says that Alex knew she had questioned her gender in high school and had teased her about it. Her words were, quote, he used to call me boy and stuff. And I was just kind of like, I don't really identify that way anymore. End quote. The detective doesn't believe this, though, just like you and I don't, because I'm sure you don't. Since Alex was right handed, it wouldn't have made sense that he'd lean over and carve this word so perfectly. Especially since Ezra said she had been fighting back. I mean, if someone grabbed my arm and began like carving into it with a knife, you would not have been able to spell a fucking word because my like it would have been. No, there's no way. The detective looks at her and says, quote, he didn't do that to your arm, did he? End quote. (laughs) And Ezra immediately says no. She's like, fuck, I'm caught, you know. So the detective goes a step further and asks if she had carved that into her own arm. And Ezra eventually goes, mm-hmm, just kind of quiet, like, yeah, I did it. The detective then looks at her hands, which have only superficial cuts. That means she did not grab the knife by the blade like she said she did. Because she's saying she, like, the knife was, he was trying to stab her or whatever, or cut her with it. And she grabbed it. And if that were the case, her hand would have been cut open. Ezra said the attack happened in the car, but there was more blood outside of the car than in it, which led investigators to believe that Alex was most likely stabbed outside of the car. As for showing up at Dawn's farm with torn clothes and a bruised face, she had staged all of that, all to win Jason back. She thought if Alex was 100% out of the picture, they could get the relationship back. But not only did Jason for fucking sure not take her back this time, she is arrested and charged with first degree intentional homicide. Ezra's trial started on October 15th, 2019 at the Dunn County Judicial Center. This was 18 months after Alex's murder. At the trial, the prosecution highlighted the inconsistencies in Ezra's stories and the crime scene. Let me just list these. One, first, remember she was unable to recall what happened when officers and paramedics had arrived at the farm that day? (laughs) But when they tell her they found her car and Alex, suddenly she's able to remember everything. Two, she claimed he had carved the word boy into her arm. Then she later admitted she did that to herself. Three, she said she had gotten cuts on her hand because she grabbed the knife by the blade when taking it from him. Then she changes her story and says she had kneed him in the groin and he dropped the knife. And that's when she quickly picked it up off the ground and began stabbing him. The knife her dad would later testify, her dad, Josh Shane, the guy that had adopted her, he would later testify that that was his knife that was used to kill Alex. 
So I'm sure that's kind of heavy to carry. I don't, I, I wouldn't like that. Okay. And remember when I said Alex's phone was destroyed, right? And that was going to be an important part later on. Okay, Ezra had initially said that it was because she took his phone to call for help because you remember he had attacked her and she didn't have her own phone. But that still doesn't tell us how it got destroyed on the side of the car, you know, outside of the car. That doesn't tell us that. But this is what the prosecution believes. They believe Ezra took his phone and smashed it to leave him no means. Yeah, no means of being able to get help. See, oh my God, this is really sad. This is really sad. This part is really sad. Not one single knife wound was lethal in and of itself. Alex had used a scarf found in the car to wrap his neck wounds. Like he had, she had stabbed him in the neck, the um, head, torso. But no, no, he would have survived. He could have survived them. He was trying to find stuff to stop the bleeding. So when Jason gets on the stand to testify, Ezra begins smiling at him and making these like flirty eyes at him. (laughs) Jason says, quote, she gives me these looks, adjusting herself, like being overly attuned to me, end quote. Like she still thinks sitting in that chair that she's going to somehow win him back. And I watched the court like the footage from the court and it's true like she was just like all smiling at him and stuff yeah she's a freaking weirdo like i'm sorry i don't like to talk bad about people but this girl yeah Yeah. ezra knew jason was going to be testifying this day so upon removing the pink blazer she'd been wearing she revealed a green sweater that jason had gifted her so she's like pulling all the stops she's like (laughs) and jason felt very uncomfortable by this he'd later say quote i don't understand what her tactic was but i definitely felt uneasy end quote while testifying, Jason basically just tells the court what he had told the officers the day Alex was murdered, that something just didn't seem right about Ezra, and he was concerned about the situation. A few days later, Ezra herself is put on the stand. One of the arresting officers would describe Ezra as very into herself. Like when she was asked to spell her own name in court, like she lit up like a damn pumpkin on a late October night. <laughs> she was happy to be talking about herself, you know, smiling while they were questioning her too. Like, she wanted to be able to talk about it. Then the examination turns to Alex, though. Like, once the the questions start being, like, geared towards Alex, she kind of, like, shifts her demeanor. She tells the court that the first time she met Alex, he had been writing in a journal. She walks up to him and asks what he's writing about. He tells her he's writing about cannibalism. He talked to her about cannibalism in a very philosophical way. And this is when she said she began to fall for him. Ezra describes her relationship with Alex as slow moving. She said they began with holding hands, some hugging, and a few kisses. Then she goes on to say once they did have sex, it was very, quote unquote, vanilla. What? Yeah. Like basic. Like it was nothing good about it. She tells him that he should explore himself and learn things that he likes and might want to try. And this is when she says they tried out activities associated with bondage. Their relationship could apparently be considered a BDSM relationship. She said she had been the submissive one and he had been the dominant one. She tried to paint him as like this very aggressive lover when just a few minutes ago, she said he was very vanilla. So I don't know which. Which ain't very vanilla. That's not very vanilla at all. That's like chocolate. That's like. Yeah. But others would point out that there had never been a link between Alex and BDSM ever. 
They had found absolutely no evidence indicating he was into that at all. In fact, his father was super upset by this, saying, quote, It's one thing to lose your child. It's another to have his name drug through the mud like this, end quote. Finally, they get to March 22nd, the day that Alex is killed. They ask Ezra what she had hoped for when she initially went to meet with Alex that day. She said, quote, I was hoping we could be friends still after everything that happened between us, end quote. Yeah, right. But then she goes on to say that as they rode in the car together that day after Jason had showed up and said they should probably go somewhere more public, that she had been driving aimlessly while they talked. Then suddenly, her car had gotten stuck in the mud and, quote, unquote, everything changed. I don't know what she means by this. I guess she means, like, he started to attack her. This is when she says Alex straddles her and begins cutting off her clothing. She tells a story of being in a heightened panic state. They then ask her if she meant to kill Alex when defending herself from him, and she says no. I mean, you stabbed him 16, 16 times. times. Like, yeah. I'm pretty sure you meant to kill him. And that's not the worst of it. So they go on to say, well, typically, if you're just trying to defend yourself, you'd stab that person a few times and run for help. Like you said, but 16 stab wounds, it sounds pretty intentional. To this, she says, quote, I don't know how to process this, end quote. No, you don't know how to process this because you're lying and you don't know what the fuck to say at this point. Yeah. They then bring her childhood best friend on the stand, and she says she doesn't believe Ezra either. She says that Ezra just couldn't figure out which story she wanted to stick with and couldn't keep it straight either. Like, your best friend that you're growing up with, she doesn't even believe you. So, you know, you might as well just cut cut the crap. (laughs) But her defense team would argue that the reason she couldn't remember everything was because she had been traumatized, which yes, trauma can cause you to have memory issues, but it can't cause you to lie. And as we know, Ezra has been caught in many lies already, many different lies. So not many people are falling for Ezra's innocent act. Like her Instagram page has said, quote, I'm a fox, a tricky one, end quote. She was very manipulative, and this had people wondering if, quote, the tricky fox would be able to slip away without a conviction, end quote. In November of 2020, a little more than two years after Alex's murder, the jury begins deliberation. After just three hours, they'd reached a verdict. The jury found Ezra guilty of first-degree intentional homicide and is sentenced to life in prison. So I don't know why I forgot to mention this, but the very first initial stab wound, like they had said before, they thought that it was a surprise attack because he had literally no defensive wounds. And you know, if someone's stabbing you, like if they come up to you and start stabbing you, you're going to have some kind of defensive wounds trying to protect yourself. He had virtually none. The very first, and she admitted to this, the very first stab wound was to the back of his head. She went behind him and stabbed him in the head. And I think that that really helped with the guilty verdict because that shows right there that she was not being attacked. Jason remembers when Ezra heard the verdict, it was almost like she didn't believe it. Quote, she looked like she was going to faint, end quote. There was actual fear there that day, like she knew she had been caught and the jig was up. Of course, all of Alex's friends and family were happy about the verdict, though it couldn't bring Alex back. At least they had gotten justice for him. They want Alex to be remembered as someone who wanted to help people and make them smile. Someone who loved everyone. And as for Jason, it's been very difficult for him knowing he could have very well been the motive for the murder. 
because, you know, she's killing Alex to try to get back with Jason. He states, quote, for her to take his life and put that blood on my hands almost is horrifying, end quote. And I, yeah, I mean, I can understand that. I know he probably can't help but feel a little guilty too. Many times he wishes he could go back in time and change the outcome of that day. But, you know, as everyone knows, the what ifs, they're just that. What ifs? We can't change what's happened already. And even though, and I think that that could eat at people, like just wondering and like, what if I would have stayed with them that day? What if I wouldn't have told them to go off to a public place? I'm sure he's having all these thoughts. But at the end of the day, you know, there's nothing that he could do. But Ezra is currently spending her days incarcerated at Techita Correctional Institution in Fond du Lac, Wisconsin. I hope I'm saying that right because I have no idea. And she will be eligible for parole in 2070. So yeah, that was the story of Ezra McCandless. She's something. I really honestly, like, I don't know if she had like a mental evaluation, but I feel like maybe there is something going on there. Or maybe she is just a manipulative person that wanted to have her cake and eat it too, as they'd say. Because let's kind of recap here. She was with Jason. She goes off to have a relationship with Alex and is sleeping with Jason's friend, John. And everything that she's doing, she knows she's doing it, but it's almost like she's trying to shift the blame to everyone else but herself. You know, like, oh, it was just a mistake with Alex. Oh, it was a sexual assault with John. So I don't know if I can feel sorry for her at all, period. Like, even if she were to have some sort of, like, mental health issues, that's really, I mean, killing somebody. Probably should have got checked out. Yeah. I mean, she could have been, like, I don't know. I'm not trying to defend her at all. Like at all, but I do wonder. Like, I'm just curious, something's wrong with it. Yeah, that's what, what I'm trying to. Yeah, that's exactly what I'm trying to get at. Like, I kind of just want to know why she sticks to her story that he attacked her, and I feel like I don't think she's ever going to admit what really happened. But anyway, we just wanted to recap on that episode. Um, that is it. I think we covered everything. So we will see you again in the next one. Yes, we will. All right. Bye. Bye.